Episode 1. I'm your host, Nick Antoine. And so it begins. Old business, impossible. New business. Life is better than death. Remember that the next time you swat a flies. Well, home, whatever that home may be. Or the next time you eat a cheeseburger. This issue is uh, issue one, of course. Uh, the The title is "Tainted Love." You know, like like the song <laughs> by Marilyn Manson. No, the original or the one by Marilyn Manson. They're both good. It's written by Joshua Hale Fialkov. It's penciled and inked by Andrea Sorrentino. The colors are done by Marcello Maiolo. Pat Brousseau was the letterer. Will Moss was the associate editor. And Matt Idelson. All over the place. Main editor. <laughs> Guy's awesome. Uh, the cover was manifested by Andrea Sorrentino. Way back when, Jam D. Mateus and Tom Sutton conceived this world. Let's give it the baby shower it deserves. Before we get into the issue in particular, I just kind of want to give some background into uh, a little bit. Should I go into myself? No, there's a good chance that if you've come to this podcast, you've come to this podcast through one of the other ones, through Constant Tome or through Darker Corners or through the upcoming one, which, of course, you'd have to be going back in time to do that. Um, if you got something from the future, it would be Ferryman Radio. Uh, but, um, yeah, instead of, instead of me, let's, let's go a little bit into uh, some of these creators. Uh, Joshua Hale Fialkov. It might be a name that's somewhat familiar, or maybe not. Uh, he's known for doing mostly horror stuff, did Echoes, uh, Elk's Run, and uh, Infected, this film from 2008. He's one of the writers on it. Uh, he also did uh, Doctor Who, uh, seems like about four issues in 2012, uh, January, to, to January to April. Uh, you know, just more, more aficionado info. What ends up uh, being intriguing is that he also wrote the screenplay for Afro Samurai Resurrection. Anyone that knows Afro Samurai knows that it's a pretty awesome uh, Japanime uh, that starred Sam Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson, the man, uh, in the title role. And the basic premise was, well, it was not basic, but the premise was... Uh, he wore the headband. Uh, he sat. Well, he didn't sit at the top of that mountain, but he basically he was the number one guy. Let's just think that way. And other fighters from around the world would just pretty much ambush him at any moment, 24/7, to try and take the headband to be number one. And the constant dilemma was, do you ever want to be number one? Like you can't give it up. You're gonna have to die. But if you start chasing after number one, people are gonna start chasing after you. So you could be number like 105 you slaughter your way up to like 47, there's going to be 
you know, uh, 58 other people who are going to be gunning for your spot at 47, as well as 46 people in front of you who are trying to keep you from getting number one. The whole thing is, you know, why would you even get into it in the first place? But it's like, what, code of honor, all that stuff. It was really cool. It was bizarre. Uh, that was the show that was on Cartoon Network. Um, Afro Samurai Resurrection was an actual movie. And it was like the sequel to the show. Uh, and that ended up airing on Spike TV. I remember that. It's pretty awesome. Uh, the guy, he's, he's pretty versatile when it comes to the different things he ends up writing for. Uh, there's quite a few other things in his uh, bibliography that show off exactly where he's come from. So he's, he's a writer on this. If I'm not mistaken, I'm more than positive. All 19 episodes of this podcast covering all 19 issues will have been written, all, all the issues written by Mr. Fialkov himself. So it should be quite the consistent story. Um, the impetus behind starting this particular podcast was the uh, JLD section of Darker Corners, the Justice League Dark. Uh, it ended up having a crossover with I Vampire, and it clicked in my mind. I had remembered that I never finished the series. I bought all the issues because I wanted to finish it one day, but I got up to like issue 10 or 11. Not because I lost interest, it was just I literally got distracted by life and the, and the like. So when I jumped back into things, I just happened to not have picked up my vampire. So once the other podcast, Darker Corners, had gotten to the point that those issues came up and you would have seen, you know, Rise of the Vampires Part 1, and then the next issue of the Justice League Dark episodes was Rise of the Vampires Part 3, I felt it was somewhat unfair to the listeners uh, to not at least have Part 2 and Part 4. Um, so, you know, we'll get to that. That's going to be... Uh, episode 7 and episode 9 of this particular podcast uh, if it's already happened you can go ahead and go to that and then listen to the podcast like podcasts back and forth there's cross references all over the place um, but you'll be able to follow the story and the themes and what's being uh, put across by the apparently by all the artists uh, if not then you'll just be listening to this podcast just going through the journey of um, vampirism and and uh, progeny and the effects of vampirism on the, on the soul, if there is a soul, um, what, what exactly it would be, all kinds of fun stuff like that. Um, the artist, Andrea Sorrentino, I'm sure you've seen the name before, there's a very good chance that, if, you know, you read Detective Comics comics, there's a good chance you read Green Arrow, uh, because if you're reading Detective Comics comics, then that means that you're probably watching Arrow <laughs> on the CW, amazing show. Um, well, Andrea Sorrentino and Jeff Lemire, Jeff Lemire being the writer, were the uh, primary artists on Green Arrow. Uh, still are. Um, so he was at the same time doing, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, this, this Green Arrow uh, epic saga that's been going on up till now, it's in the 30s. Um, he was as well doing all the artwork for I uh, vampire, and yes, as I stated, there was a, there's a colorist, you know, so somebody clearly is giving that extra, that extra bit of depth and gravity to the to the, each and every panel. Uh, but the, the the horrors that are dreamt up are dreamt up by this guy who you know checked it out on uh, which we call it one of the triumvirate Google. Uh, it turns out just regular old Italian dude, cool guy, just draws wicked bizarre stuff. So he did all. Uh, all the issues of I Vampire. Uh, he's done, as far as I can tell, I did some future research. Future research turns out that 
uh, his last issue on Green Arrow will be the lenticular issues that are tie-ins to the future's end uh, amazingly immense dense and detailed arc that's going on currently it's a weekly series um, stars all kinds of awesome people don't want to spoil anything if you're not reading it go check it out start at number one like I said it's weekly so you really don't have to wait that long to go from each episode um, it's it's amazing but the last one for Green Arrow it's a 3D it's in September so that'll be his last issue uh, and after that it's going to be if I'm not mistaken uh, come on uh, it's Mark Guggenheim and there's another guy I'm always forgetting everybody's names, um, but I don't believe it's Mark Guggenheim that's actually doing the um, the writing, the the writing staff as well as the uh, the art, the artists that are going to be coming along uh, in the new Green Arrow series are some of the people that are behind the actual television show. So I know that people that are fans of the current uh, creative team probably, you know, somewhat dismayed. They're like, oh man, you know, that was that was my jam and I'm so used to these, you know, the color schemes and, and the art styles and the way everything plays out. Like, it, it, the way that you can get a kick out of reading Swamp Thing just because of how the layouts are and the way that you're enthralled by how the layouts are portrayed in this series, it's the same effect in Green Arrow. Just bizarre, in, in, in the issues, just bizarre ways to move the action forward and it's all coming from the mind of this this crazy 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 dude and so i highly recommend it uh, check it out you know uh, right now i'm going through my ipad because i was assuming that i had it queued up already but it clearly wasn't yet um i supposedly had a green arrow queued up next week's issue but uh, it's not coming out because I wanted to get the guy's name and I'm more than positive I don't think it's Mark Guggenheim there's another individual there's Mark Guggenheim and someone else and I can't remember the name uh, and he's the guy that's going to be the new uh, the new writer for the issues and I, I'm not 100% I don't think they're going to then tie into the show because there's an actual graphic novel that's based on the show um, there we go it's popping up an actual one uh, and it, it's two different universes as if the the DC television universe is its own part in the DC multiverse, the graphic novels. So, you know, when when different events happen in the TV show, they'll mirror or be affected uh, within the actual, I think it's just called Arrow, that graphic novel. The Green Arrow graphic novel is the one that's within the DC multiverse, uh, within the New 52. Um, there you go, Andrew Kreisberg. I don't know why I didn't remember that. I knew that name, Kreisberg. Uh, it's going to be written, I know at the very least that issue, issue 34, comes out, uh, I'm sorry, issue 35, 34 is the September one, 35 is uh, October 1st, 2014, this will be written by uh, Ben Sokolowski and Andrew Kreisberg, and the art will be done by Daniel, Sam Daniel Samper, uh, S-A-M-P-E-R-E, I know I've seen that name before, and I know he's done some other work as well, um, but yeah, I'm sure there will be some even more nods to the television show, as there already were. In the previous one, I remember, you know, Diggle was introduced into the graphic novel, which was a nice Ouroboros. <laughs> you know, the, the Andy Diggle is an, a writer for DC Comics. 
there was an affinity for him, you know, a, a kinship, a friendships, all that jazz uh, behind the scenes, you know, different artists. So as a nod to him, they created him in the TV show, and they ended up being in the TV show, being a fan favorite, just like everybody else on the show. And it became so popular that they then introduced that character into the actual DC universe. Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome how that stuff goes down. So yeah, check out his stuff on Green Arrow. Also, you know, he did uh, six issues of the crossover at the X-Files slash 30 Days of Night. I haven't checked that one out, but I'm sure it's pretty cool. Pretty word. Uh, love the X-Files. Love 30 Days of Night. Highly underrated. If you haven't seen it and you listen to this podcast, go watch it. You'll love it. I'm sure of it. And he also did uh, about six issues. Yeah, about six issues of uh, God of War. Interpretation of God of War. So he's clearly had a, an, an eclectic collection of different uh, works that you can choose from if you know you you read this stuff and you're like wow I really like the way this guy lays out a page or I love his 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 decisions when it comes to drawing figures um, fascinating just fascinating stuff uh, back to the issue at hand I could go more into all the other people that are involved but that's just even more stuff and if you like I've said their names you can go research them they're really awesome uh, this particular uh, title was one of the ones that were uh, released at the same time as Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman, Detective Comics, The Flash, uh, during the uh, right right after rather the Flashpoint. So it's, it it had its initial run. You know, the September 2011. Uh, it came out with a bang with everything else. Um, what's intriguing is what I didn't know. Which was this was an act like a completely different series beforehand. So this is in essence volume two, even though it's the first time it's titled this, I comma vampire. Uh, it initially started off as I ellipses or three dots vampire, uh, and it was about 24 issues. And it was as I said earlier created by uh, Jam DeMatteis and Tom Sutton. What's fascinating about it is that apparently it was in 24 issues of House of Mystery, which ties into Justice League Dark heavily, especially if you're listening to uh, episode six, or rather issue six forward of Justice League Dark and uh, over there in Darker Corners, um, between 1981 and 1983. It ended up just, you know, backup stories in House of Mystery, and then apparently it ended up taking over. <laughs> And the the actual series went from being called House of Mystery to House of Mystery to I dot 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 Vampire, uh, and apparently, as it states on one of the triumvirate, the wiki itself, the finale was almost the length of an entire book. Jam um, Demetrius, J M Demetrius, ended up going to Len Wein and saying like, "Hey man, I got this great idea for this story. It's gonna be crazy. But this vampire, this woman that's with him, it's Mary Queen of Blood." Yeah, and I'm going to call it Greenberg. And Len Wein was like, yeah, that's great. You should call it I Vampire. And then it was called I Vampire, and they went forward. Um, there's a lot of bizarre backstory going on. The older version, uh, or I guess it's it's still the same version, it's just because of the Flashpoint, you know, like I said, like people's memories are messed up, and individuals are the same, but they're like some of them are amalgamated with other people. Beautiful storytelling. Uh, before the Flashpoint... Uh, he was Lord Andrew Bennett was turned into a vampire in 1591 uh, 
he ended up like almost directly after turning his his quote unquote lover Mary Seward into a vampire as well and she ended up kind of losing it a little bit now that name was kind of bugging me because I was like I know I've heard Seward before but I'm sure whatever book I've heard it from I haven't read in a very 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 long time which is unfortunately true it's from well John Seward specifically John Seward M.D. He was the uh he was the guy that was in charge at the Insane Asylum. If you remember Bram Stoker's Dracula, if you read the book, or you saw Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was Kiefer Sutherland. He played John Seward. And he was the guy that was in charge of, you know, that that ward, or maybe the entire Insane Asylum. And he was looking after Renfield and giving him the flies and all that jazz. Um, pretty sure I had that right, unless it's Kiefer Sutherland with Renfield. Let's not go there, because I, I can't remember exactly which role he played. I just remember seeing him with glasses. He could have been bugging out. Uh, but anyway, the guy who was the doctor there, <laughs> he was John Seward, um, one taking care of all the people. And that that's an intriguing uh, choice to make as a, as a writer for J.M. DeMatteis way back when, in, uh, I was going to say 1891, in 1981. <laughs> He's immortal, too. Uh, because, you know, Mary Seward the character that's being created here was clearly supposed to be a descendant or or even closer the daughter of this particular doctor this psychiatrist but a psychiatrist who treated probably no doubt the craziest person at the insane asylum whoever was like whoever and why ever all those individuals were there that was a horrible sentence why all those different individuals were there is up to debate um, how exactly bizarre their their afflictions were, but to have someone who originated uh, that that syndrome, which is called it's not called Renfield syndrome, is it? I don't think or Renfield's disease. There's there's a word for it um, where you cut yourself to drink your own blood. It's uh, disgusting and shocking that it actually exists, um, but it very much, it, it, it is very much so a real thing. Um, to have that character be uh, looked after by a guy who clearly had his own little problems here and there, but was so fascinated by the psychosis of this individual, to then have this guy have a child who then ends up being betrothed after death to somebody who's, in comparison to her, in comparison to Mary Queen of Blood, quite sane, she ends up becoming the Renfield of the situation. Which, you know, you can say, oh, you know, uh, that's really easy writing. But, no, not really. I mean, there's so many ways that they could have end up, ended up going with that storyline. And to have instead said, okay, this is how we're going to do it. Um, basically the woman that is in love with our main character the woman who is an equal to our main character is not going to see anything the same way as the main character and make things that much more difficult but only because it makes absolute sense to her i'm going to show you why it makes sense to her i think that's that's fascinating is it's taking some things that seem like they're somewhat of a trope and kind of enhancing them to a point where they almost become uh, gregarious 
and no longer a trope and now just an interesting fact, an intriguing fact. Uh, I'd like to point out as well that there's a slight chance that Mary Seward is based on another Mary Seward as well, maybe an amalgamation. There was one named Mary Holden Coggeshall Seward, or just Mary Seward. She was born on July 9th, 1893. Wow, I'm dyslexic, you have to excuse me. She was born July 9th on <laughs> in 1839, and she died around September 1st of 1919. Now, what's fascinating about her is that she was a poet, uh, as it says here, she was known for leadership of charities and women's clubs, major reforms and care for blind babies, and the carol, The Christmas Bells. Now, I checked it up here. Seward was involved with the women's club movement for 47 years. So she was, you know, one of those those uh, preeminent individuals, the preeminent uh, torchbearers of the women's movement uh, for the world over. Uh, it says here she was a member of Cirrhosis, or S-O-R-O-S-I-S, S-O-R-O-S-I-S, um, which was the first American club dedicated to the improvement and advancement of professional women, and an organizer of the National Society of New England Women, which she served twice as president. And it just shows, you know, there's, there's so many... There's so many different parallels that can be drawn from just these two characters, a, a fictional representation of a child of somebody from a fictional book uh, being uh, John Seward, MD, and then drawing parallels that the strength that must have just oozed and emanated from the essence that was Mary C. Seward. It makes this character in this graphic novel that much more fascinating. Um, I shouldn't have to convince you of that. You know, it's just the truth. I was checking my watch there. That's right. I wear a watch because they serve a purpose. And they look cool. That's really it. You know, everybody's got a phone in their pocket. I got my iPad. I don't really need a watch. But I just, I like the way it looks. So, we fall into the issue. The cover image, pretty provocative. You know, it says Team Plus, so it makes sense. You know, it's not going to go full-on mature. There's not going to be probably full-on uh, penetration or any kind of cursing going on in the issues to come. But to have a woman who's naked save for some tattoos and a, and a thong, and a dude who, I say, is half-naked, I like pointing that out, a man that is shirtless is half-naked. Saying he's shirtless is just like saying a woman's shirtless. Because that's not the same. She could be wearing a bra or a tank top. She's still shirtless. Like, seriously, people consider it that way. If they, she's covering up even more, then it's like, oh, it's shirtless. Or she's wearing a shirt. But a dude takes off his shirt. It's like, oh, he's just shirtless. Stops off. It's like, no, he's half naked. It's revealing. I don't know. i got to get off this, this trying to stop the reverse sexism tip. But they, they're showing equal amounts of nudity in that his nipples are showing. That's the best way I can say it. The compensation of you see her cleavage but you don't see her nipples. You see pretty much everything. His, his V-line, which all heterosexual women and homosexual men know what I'm talking about. You see his nipples. He's, he's, he's like protruding himself out to the reader just as much as she is. Their legs are intertwined with each other despite the fact that her right forearm and hand are soaked in blood. It's a sexual image. Both of them are... are what's being drawn here is trying to emanate sexuality towards you, despite the fact that he's got huge leather bat wings growing out of his back. Um, 
we get amazing, like, like as per usual, just breathtaking imagery. Uh, and it all starts off with a boot on the ground. Uh, and there's this fiasco that had unfurled upon the world. And uh, Lord Andrew Bennett, our main character, uh, is we're led to believe he has no idea why this is going on. We don't necessarily know that this is the... Uh, it's not the... Well, yeah, no, no, that this is the present, yeah. We don't know that this is the present or that it's the past or the future, but it, it is the present. We just know. It's like, oh, this is some stuff that's going on. And he says some pretty bizarre stuff, and, and, you know, you see the perfect kind of violence, in my opinion, which is the before and after. You know, you see him wielding an axe over an individual. Uh, and the next image is just looking upwards at him as they're being talked to. And then the following image... It's a head flying off like five, ten feet away from the the source, but it's all in silhouette. Like that's beautiful. Like I, I don't. Yes, you can go there and show all the gruesomeness that you want, but if you want to be tasteful about it and tease people with what's to come, it's such a beautiful way to go about it. Uh, on this dual splash page, that's uh, page two and three. I was going to use the clock that's above his head to the right, right next to the the words. I was going to use that as the image for the podcast, but I was like, nobody's going to know what this is about, and this, this it's not about clocks. Yes, there might be a time involved in this, but it's not about clocks. Uh, so we, we get this, we're getting these, these dueling dialogues, okay, where the pink word rectangles are, we find out, Mary Queen of Blood. And I'd like to, actually, I think there's officially old business, oh my goodness, in a previous podcast in Darker Corners, specifically Justice League Dark, those issues, I want to say it was issue 7, I referred to her as Mary Queen of Scots because I was referring to a real life person (laughs) her name is Mary Queen of Blood for some reason I just kept saying it like, oh yeah, no that's what it's called, so uh, I've caught myself here this is a response to anyone that would have emailed by then Uh, yeah, that's just for you guys Mary Queen of Blood, uh, the pink rectangle uh, boxes and Andrew Bennett, his are in red. They're having this back and forth conversation. Basically, you know, we've been together this long. Where do we go from here? Uh, and this is all the while he's doing some uh, beheadings, just just going for it. And then we automatically are shunted, it seems, to the past, given the color schemes. Uh, the, the present is misty and moldy and has a very western you know like the old west kind of feel even though this takes place in the present day uh what we see is the you know the past has this blue hue and not a dreamy like vaseline over the lens hue but just just blue enough to let you know no everything here is blue so this clearly is supposed to be somewhere else and you you see the the psychosis of uh the queen of blood of mary herself uh, you, you see that she doesn't care about life or humanity in the same way that Andrew Bennett does. Which, okay, yes, that could be seen as a trope when it comes to vampirism. You could look at Angel uh, from the series Angel. I can't say from Buffy because he was pretty much cameoing in most of those episodes until he got sent to hell. Once he had his own show, then it was his own show. But it was, it was after his namesake, so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, a lot of the vampires in the Vampire Chronicles. So, Lestat de Leoncourt, or Man Alive, uh, David Talbot, uh, uh, Armand, 
uh, Marius de Romanus at a, at a certain point. Um, Maharet. Uh, good Lord. I, the, the idea of uh, a vampire. And, you know, even technically, technically, uh, the interpretation by Francis Ford Coppola in Bram Stoker's Dracula, the idea that the vampire is not trying to destroy the world, not trying to turn everyone into vampires, uh, you know, i.e. Deacon Frost in the graphic novels or in the Blade film. Um, no, they're, they're, they're really just trying to suss out their own existence and be comfortable in the world to the best of their abilities, you know, given that now they're undead and they have to hide that fact from the rest of the world. Um, and then to have their companion be like, what are you talking about? You know, we're <laughs> I've got all the powers that you do and all the, all the resources you do. And the last thing I want to do is just sit around and do nothing. Like, let's do some crazy stuff. And he's like, dude, come on, man. It doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to ruffle any feathers. And we get a manifestation of some vampiric powers. We're shown that these aren't vampires that are just lounging around. Uh, you know, I'm not... I, I promised myself I'm not going to disparage any vampires. That is not going to happen in this podcast. It's only elevation. Uh, so we see some Dracula-esque vamp- vampiric powers. Um, some Strigoi-esque vampires. I'm going to do some research. S-T-R-I-G-O-I. Um, they, they turn into mist, but as if they're ghost-like. So they, they don't turn into a complete mist, you know, uh, along the lines of pretty much any Dracula movie where he turns into mist, and then as well... Bram Stoker, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, it's more of like a like they become somewhat of an apparition, as if they're displacing their molecules. They're a little bit farther apart, so they're kind of on the wind and carried by the wind. It's an it's a, it's a very interesting way to look at it. Uh, and then to be shunted back yet again to this field, this field of people in 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 the middle of a city. Um, as their conversation continues, as as they go back and forth with their, you know, this is a good idea, this isn't a good idea, uh, a ripped, probably burned American flag floating in the distance, Andrew Bennett is confronted by a woman who, who seems to very, very, very closely resemble Mary Queen of, oh, I was going to do it again, Mary Queen of Blood, which automatically, the first time I, remember, I read this, I remember that happened, I was like, okay, so where is this woman? Like, we're seeing her in flashbacks. Did he kill her at some point in the past? Like, hope, I hope that's not the case. Uh, what? Why is it that now he, it seems like he's having some kind of illusion, trying to figure out exactly what's going on? Um, and this podcast is going to be a little bit harder, just like with Constant Tome, not to spoil it because I want to get in depth. Um, but, you know, he is killing people. Um, and some of these people, no, most of these people, no, all of these people are vampires. But clearly they're not vampires that he either sanctioned or knew about. Whether he had the power to sanction them or not is up for debate. I don't know at this current point. I don't think so. Nevertheless, this woman who's totally against being killed, she's like, no, I just turned. you kidding me? I want this. Not necessarily she wants to go out and be like uh, the Queen of Blood, but she definitely uh, doesn't want to end her life just finding out now that she's probably more powerful than she expected. So she turns into, you know, a wolf. And the normal-sized wolf. And I mean, almost as like still a giant wolf, like if it stood on its hind legs, it's damn near six feet tall, like a giant wolf. But that doesn't matter, because then he transforms into a glorious image, and it took me by surprise. This is like the third time I've read this. I still did not see that coming. It's amazing. The imagery, I won't go into describing because it's just amazing. 
other than take a good close look. Even his veins are drawn in. That's that's how meticulous this artwork is. is that the blood runs down the neck of the victim and even still his blood is pulsating as if it's calling out to this blood. We flash back yet again to the past, to these individuals sitting around like, you know, this is this is crazy. You know, I, you're crazy. You're evil. <laughs> Don't you see all these thoughts that you keep having are, are really bad and maybe you should take heed to the fact that I'm actually sitting here and talking about it and not deciding like, I'm just going to destroy you. Um, and before we move on, if you look at page 10, top left, the tree is slightly pink. It's because Pandora is there. Pandora was in, well, let me just say, uh, you know, I'll say this first. Every single number one issue, except for one, I can't remember which one it was, it was one of them, that it didn't have it and there was a reason for it. It was either that the graphic novel took place in the future or that it took place in the past so it didn't necessarily conflict like the, the Western tales, those, those issues. I can't remember. Man, I should know the name of it. Uh, DC All-Star, I think it's the name of it. DC All-Star Western. Yeah. Um, those issues, I think, because it, it doesn't necessarily connect. Like, those guys would have been long dead by the time the Trinity War stuff started popping off. Uh, but all of the number one issues... They have Pandora somewhere, and if you pay attention, like she shows up for a reason, like when someone's talked about, or when something's going down, like in action comics, when Superman is, in essence, like saving Metropolis for the first time, with the whole train scene, she's sitting in the train that's being saved, you know, or here, uh, who is this, this is Andrew Bennett talking about, what do you think? You and this is quote unquote, and you think you and your army stand a chance against Superman and a half dozen Green Lanterns and Wonder Woman, and, and that's where she pops up. It's like they're not talking anything having to do with superheroes in this at all. It's all about them, and they just drop a reference like, hey, you know this the Trinity, or at least parts of the Trinity. You know, you think uh, you think maybe it would be a good idea not to start causing problems with all these people flying around, and then the story divulges, and. She quickly turns from a, a wolf into a bat. Again, it's not, you don't see it mid-transformation. You see it right before and then right after. And it's, it, it kind of forces you to make the picture form in your head. It's, it's beautiful. It's amazing. And you go to page uh, 11 now, I would say. It says page 10, but it's not page 10. Page 10 is the other one. Um, and at the bottom of it, you, <laughs> there's a bit of a trick that had been played. And it's this beautiful vantage point with slight, things slightly skewed. If you look uh, right above the word yepper, uh, the building is diagonal, as if it's on a hill or something. But I always thought that was bizarre. The buildings, the tops of buildings could not be perpendicular to the ground, you know, horizontal. I always thought that would be weird. Like, of course, the foundation could be off level because it's on a hill, you know, or something like that. Like it's in San Francisco or Machu Picchu. Uh, but the top of the building is going to be level. So a place that has a building that is not level, uh, but it's it's straight in front of you. That always, uh, I always thought that was bizarre. Um, of course, looking at it upon closer inspection, the windows are tilted as well. So clearly, given the vantage point, it's probably you, you turn down that street. It's not uh, like you like you slightly veer on that street. You don't make a ninety degree turn. So there you go. My 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 observation is com rendered completely moot. On <laughs> the next page, on uh, page twelve, again another beautiful shot that I feel like has been cheapened 
by other types of monsters. If you're looking at this image, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But if it was like with 30 Days of Night or with this, if you were to see this represented on television or as a miniseries even, you know, a miniseries on HBO, iVampire, I think it would be glorious to see some, this image of, of a slew of otherworldly beings dripping with crimson effluvia you know just kind of rambling down the road ambling down the road uh, shuffling towards what they see as a threat what they perceive to be something standing in the way of what they want and as he attempts to leave because clearly he's not an idiot <laughs> there's a ridiculous amount of people after him we get flashed back again to it seems like the end of this conversation where she ends up doing something that, that creeps him out creeps him out to the point where he's like, look, this, this has to go, this, this has to end, we can't have this go down anymore, and she transforms yet again in a beautiful image, if there was no word balloons here, I would take a picture of this and have this as a background, both her and him there, it's just, it's a beautiful image, it's evocative of uh, Neptune, do I have that right? No, that's not right, Venus, Neptune is the god of the sea, Venus is Aphrodite, Yes, the, the picture of Venus by Botticelli, of uh, the woman coming out of the sea, I guess for him it was, no, it was Venus, he's, he's Italian, uh, coming out of the sea, uh, and you kind of see like, like her clothes just kind of flowing, like, like as if there's a wind fan, or the wind outside, because it's the beach, uh, and water, and all this just amazing stuff, and that's, that's the imagery that seems to be evoked here, is look, I am resplendent, I am in all my glory, why should I be hampered? come back yet again to where Andrew Bennett is being chased around and it gets to a very, very, very devilish, dark, daunting situation. It's apparently at the uh, downtown crossing station, uh, or the downtown cross, and he, he doesn't do anything, he doesn't step in, and we end up getting four panels on page 16 that, save for one pink rectangle, which clearly is, you know, the Queen of Blood speaking. She stands in silence as fate unfolds. You know, and I, you know, again, I'd like to point out the artist went out of their way to actually draw the ads inside the train, and they're repeated. So the first two, <laughs> first two panels, you see the ads going over. Like if you've ever been in a train with the, when the doors, where the doors open and close to get in on either side of that usually there's like a map on one side or and or an ad on the other um, above those spots there's still ads as well and they come down a little bit excuse me, a little bit more it's really like a car ad like it's crazy just to put that much detail uh, into something that's uh, so macabre you know where you're not supposed to necessarily pay attention and you look at the third panel and how the the effects and devastation of fate played out uh, are shown and there's no onomatopoeias, there's there's no whooshing lines to show like something flying from one place to another, just like earlier with the, with the de decapitation, you don't see a bunch of lines going from the body. Yes, of course, those art styles are beautiful and perfect for their place and they definitely came from somewhere that helped to build to a place where you could now draw graphic novels that didn't have that kind of stuff in it. But you know, again, just we're appreciating what's before us. 
literally, not before us chronologically. Uh, we come back to, it seems like, no more than an hour before the past, and we get a full-on Dear John, Andrew Bennett, uh, by himself in a, in a beautiful canopy bed. Um, won't read the letter, of course, but it's clearly from the Queen of Blood, and she's decided to take some things upon herself, which is technically where we left off. Now, just like the other podcasts, uh, Darker Corners, uh, Constant Tone, as well as uh, Ferryman Radio, and <laughs> that's impossible. So not as well as Ferryman Radio. I just gave myself a plug for no reason. Uh, there's going to be a, a podcast coming up called Fair Play Pod, and it's all about Mr. Terrific. Um, all of these different podcasts, but it's speci- specifically the ones that are currently in, in rotation, you know, like in uh, darker corners, when we talk about Justice League Dark or Swamp Thing or Phantom Stranger or Pandora um, or Constantine, there's never any spoilers. And by that I mean don't don't divulge exactly how things play out in the graphic novel because people could pick up this podcast and be like, oh yeah, listen to this. This will give me exactly what goes on in the issue. I'm not trying to cheat all the artists that are involved in this. They put so much work into it. Why make what they did moot by a, you know a silly little podcast? It's not fair to them, you know. So no, I go over you know major themes that occur in the graphic novel. I go over. Um, uh, particular aspects of the art that fascinate me or catch me off guard you know like again another thing wasn't until the second time around I noticed that he's got this white streak in his hair it's prominent you can't miss it yet for some reason I was so fascinated by everything else going on in the graphic novel that I almost completely missed it because I was looking at every other aspect you know you gotta you gotta just soak this stuff in you gotta appreciate it and that's the, the point of this podcast and all the rest of them to try and drum up more appreciation for these novels, to give people an incentive to go to Comixology or to go to DCComics.com or even Vertigo.com and check out uh, the different graphic novels that they've got, especially the horror graphic novels, and go ahead and buy them. In this case, for this, with the first two, uh, Comixology and DCComics.com, to go buy iVampire. Go get the issues, man. They're, they've all come out. It's all 19 of them. So they're all going to be a buck each. And I did the math last time around. It's 1881? Yeah, 1880. It did another podcast. It's easy math, I know. 1881, technically, before taxes. Uh, if it's 99 cents each, and I'm sure there's a graphic novel by now, I'll know by the next episode, because it's going to be weekly, um, where there's a full-on graphic novel, and then I'll just refer you guys to that. Um, or, you know, you could just go get it. Um, but, you know, there's a way to appreciate this art without spoiling for people who want to cheat and listen to something free without giving respect and paying for what's already there you know and I've done it in the past and stopped after a couple uh, about a couple years ago I was like no this can't go on anymore of uh, downloading free graphic novels it's the internet so of course you can get all kinds of stuff for free but it gets to a certain point you're like you know what these people put so much work in it it's like just do the barter exchange that we live in in a capitalist society you know I do work that allows me to get money I will then use that money to buy the things that I like that's my exchange with other people who did the work that they did and then got money and now there's just this thing in the center is this middleman you know uh, they Andrea Sorrentino and uh, Joshua Hale Fialkov uh, did all this uh, uh, as well as everyone else involved uh, did all this work got paid for it and put the work in essence in a bin and then got paid I would go off do work 
get paid, you know, go direct something or, you know, go write something with my writing partner, Calvin Ellis, uh, and get paid and then put the art in a, in a bucket for me to then go to that bucket and say like, okay, I could look at the stuff that I made and take that back. Or I could look at the stuff that somebody else made and not put any money in the bucket to justify me taking it, you know? And that bucket is in essence, wow, this is a real philosophical question, but it's technically the government, I guess, yeah. Because in one way, shape or form, you know, it'll be some business that has to pay taxes, so that means they're leasing the land from the government. Um, you, you, wow, that's horrible. I really just broke down why piracy sucks. That was not going to be the point of this podcast. The theme of this particular issue, I'm just going to move forward, is betrayal. Um, clearly. Uh, betrayal by, or uh, betrayal felt by uh, Mary, Queen of Blood. Uh, her feeling like, man, after all this time, you still haven't changed at all. You still think that it's this curse. and You know, like the, the, what you expect to hear from a, a vampire that's lived for millennia, or not millennia, but for centuries. You'd be like, oh, you know... It's just gotten too much. Like, go ahead and read Blood and Gold in the Vampire Chronicles. It's a lot of that. You know, with him and Pandora, and then him and Armand, and then him and Daniel Ta Talbot. You know, and he's like, oh, it's gotten too long, and I've had to look after, you know, uh, those who must be kept. Can't believe I just pulled that. Uh, I have to make sure that, you know, everything stays safe, and all the vampires stay safe in turn, you know. But that means that I can't go out and party all the time and I have to keep a low profile. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, you're, you're right, you're right. But just to go on about that all the time is so effing boring. So for her to have to put up with that for so long and see no change whatsoever, I'm sure there's, you, you see it on the page, there's a sense of betrayal. She goes about what she goes about or she does what she ends up doing because she feels like she's alone in the world. You know, uh, we don't see the sense of betrayal from... Andrew Bennett until technically around the end of the issue where he's kind of he makes the realization even though we're smattered with it throughout the issue really from the beginning from the get-go the dual splash page that he's doing what he's doing because he's been betrayed we find it out we have it unfurled before us through different flashbacks that aren't nailing it on the head or you know smashing you in the face with a brick saying this is 1892 or this is 1947 or this is 2011 you know it's just kind of showing you like oh no this had to have taken place before because he's having a conversation with someone that's not there in this scenario you know we have these things going down in a blue hue these things going down in a, in a sepia tone you know um and then finally the the betrayal of the progeny you know and that kind of spoils it but not really the the groups of people that the hordes of individuals that felt like they had a leader somewhere and are finding that they had a leader nowhere where i mean i mean where they are they didn't think that Andrew Bennett had anything to do with leaving them or turning them into vampires eventually, nothing like that. But the person that sent them there, the people that sent them there, they they clearly felt like, oh, they're our leaders, you know? They're the ones that are going to uh, lead us in the right direction. And to be led, basically, to the slaughter. If that's not betrayal, I don't know what is. So, I hope that you enjoyed the issue. I, I know I did. It's like I said, this is the third time I'm reading it. Uh, and I'm probably going to read it again. Um, I just, I'm just so fascinated by art. It's just, and, 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 the, and the printed word. You know, I don't even, I love reading books, read books all the time. I 
great books. <laughs> I love literature, but there's something about graphic novels, you know, and I insist, said it in another podcast, I insist on calling them graphic novels because that's what they are. People call them comic books because they're, they're shorter, so they think they're, they're not worth the reverence in one way, shape, or form. Like, that's why people call it a comic book. You know, they don't call it a comic because they're like, oh, it's in that category of, you know, uh, there's children's books and horror books and sci-fi books and suspense books and thriller books and comedy albums, <laughs> comedy books. There really aren't any comedy books. Um, funny limerick tales. Uh, and then there's comic books. They don't talk about it like that. They talk about it like, no, there's all that other stuff. And then there's comic books. You know, and it's like, why, man? All this work that these people do in the cycle of a moon. You know, in, in one month, in one month, they're able to create an entire world, whether people are, are aware, of it, aware of it enough to go out and buy it, to keep it going, that it's a part of a capitalist machine, which makes sense. Uh, that doesn't matter. The fact that it actually got created, that these people put all that work together and put that in the bucket, we should show some reverence. Put in a, a, a shekel or two and say, yeah, you know what, I'll, I'll check this out. You know, you could read the first issue and be like, Nick, I don't know what you're talking about, this was horrible. Cool. I, 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 you know, it, it wasn't for you. Just like I haven't read every single graphic novel that's come out yet from DC. It's, it would have been impossible. I just don't have that much time. Of course, you wouldn't think so listening to all these different podcasts, but it's true. Um, but still, I, I have the reverence for it. I understand that there's so much work put into it. And even though I don't talk about other publishing houses, or at least try not to, they all do all this, all this work. Give it, give it some respect, you know? So I look at it like, and I mentioned this in the, in the Darker Corners podcast, basically, if you look at each of these issues like a chapter, as you're supposed to, then it even falls into the category of a novel that much more. Because if you have something like, and I mentioned this before, Detective Comics, where it ended up having 880 plus issues, that means it had 880 plus chapters where every single chapter of story was being told and some chapters the, the stories were like a, a character arc and you were finding out about all these different people some of them went two issues some of them went three issues some of them went ten issues you know some of them crossed over into other books you know intermingled worlds how could you discount that I had worked you know tried to work it out real quick it's like 17,000 page book that's bigger than War and Peace come on come on son you can't fight that and you don't even have to think that big this graphic novel series is 19 chapters long. 19 chapters. 20, 20, roughly 400 pages. I guess technically it's 381 pages. That's a regular sized book. And to top it off, you get ridiculously, immaculately constructed images. Vivid imagery put forth before you for a buck or two at the time for almost nothing giving it to you like oh here it's just something to go check out like these people put their heart and soul into it and you look at it like oh well you know who cares I'll get to it when I get to it you know no you know, have a passion for these things you know other people say what they say and do what they do a lot of times out of fear if people had had have read a graphic novel and had it affect them the way that it affects so many people world around, then they wouldn't react to it the way that they, they're reacting to it. They just need to understand. It's like, oh, you don't like that type of graphic novel. Just like with movies. So what if someone says, oh, yeah, okay, so for instance, if someone says, you know what, I really liked Howard the Duck. If 
if you hear them say that and say, Howard the Duck, that's a horrible movie. I didn't like that movie. Are you now never going to watch another movie ever again? Even if you've seen other movies before, but someone makes a comment about it, like, oh, no, I'll never watch that again. No, of course not. Of course not. It's a genre. It's a type of film. It's a, it's a specific avenue that those artists went down and you'd be like, okay, I don't like that avenue. I don't, I don't want to take that journey. Which I still think everyone should. It's bizarre. Bizarre like Baku Banzai. Or rather, The Adventures of Baku Banzai in the 8th Dimension. Uh, it's, it's fascinating what ends up getting created. And to say that you dislike one thing and that will then make it so that you'll never attempt to dip your toe into that vast ocean of intent and, and dreams and nightmares and wonder that's that's a waste of a life that's right I said it people who go out of their ways to hate on graphic novels are wasting their life the email address for the show is b and the q at gmail.com see get it it's called Bennett and the Queen get it I just didn't want a really 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 long email address uh, just make sure it's capital B and a capital Q. B and the Q. All one word. Uh, also, you can go ahead and check us out on Twitter. It's the exact same thing. At B and the Q. Capital B, capital Q. It's all streamlined, I'm telling you. Knock yourselves out and then go ahead and give the show five stars because there aren't that many vampire podcasts. Um, this one's going to be going into some bizarre stuff. I tried to keep it away from me in the first episode, you know, like my experiences with vampirism, but I'm definitely going to get more into it uh, as the episodes move forward. Um, I gravitate towards these different vampire stories because I lived in New York for a very long time, uh, and people believe themselves to be vampires, not immortal vampires, not vampires that can, you know, fly per se, or, you know, that uh, are capable of bursting into flames in the sunlight but you know like with this particular graphic novel one of the powers that are checked or yeah powers that are checked off um is that they don't burn up in the sunlight they just become weaker it tingles some maybe depending on how old you are but you're not able to use your powers and you're basically like a human being um which again is a fascinating way to go about it it's almost uh i'm trying to think i know i know of one that's like that well, I guess technically it would have been, you know, like Lestat at a certain point. You know, he got ridiculously powerful, and uh, by the end of Queen of the Damned, he was a god. He was a vampire god. And then Tell the Body Thief starts off, the dude's trying to kill himself in the desert. And it's just not working. <laughs> you know, um, very rare that you end up seeing vampires that are able to be that way. Um, yes, there was a collection of movies that came out that were aimed at uh, young adult females and middle-aged women that had vampires that could be in the sun. But those movies were not about vampires. Those movies were about losing your virginity. That's what those movies were about. And virginity being held up as the chalice that all should sup from. So much so that an entire clan of vampires and an entire clan of werewolves are thrown into disarray because one vampire and one werewolf want to taste. That's really all the story was about. That's cool, but 
that's not the vampire story I want to watch. I've seen all those movies because it's like prerequisite for me. I just see all the vampire movies. Uh, but I wasn't watching it like, oh man, this is a great vampire story. I was like, no, this feels like I'm in high school again. But like not the good part of high school, like like the first week of the ninth grade. You know, like you're the guy that no one's paying attention to because I'm projecting here, obviously, but moving around all the time. <laughs> you, you don't really fit in anywhere. And then there's all these popular kids that are like 11th and 12th graders who are doing running running the gamut. They're, they're, they're running the school. Uh, it, it was an eerie feeling, you know, and just very emotional music, uh, which is nothing wrong with that. I love emotions. There's nothing wrong with that. But it was, I just, I expect more blood in a vampire movie. I'm sorry. I just expect more carnage. That's what I'm trying to get out of it. I, yes, I can have all the, 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 the sexiness and all that jazz. That's cool. That's what vampires are for. They, they can glamour somebody, you know, make them see something that they, they're not expecting to see or, or that they are being made to see, you know, or uh, they can fly or that they can turn into a mist or they can turn into an animal, you know, or that they have much, much longer lives than everyone else or that they're susceptible to the sun, you know, or crosses, or a stake to the heart, like anything, anything that wants to be explored, that's awesome, because you're just doing a new twist on the tale. But when you're no longer focusing on the fact that individuals are vampires, and you're then wholly shifting the focus onto human beings, I, I, I don't consider that a vampire story anymore. I consider that a human drama with vampires that pop in every now and again. And even if they're there quite often, they're, they're they might as well just be humans, because they're not doing anything vampiric. Now, everything I've just said, that is, again, like I said, it's not disparaging because they're still they're great movies. I mean, they did amazingly. Everybody loves them. You know, like everyone that went to go see it, they love them. And even people that, like, didn't see it, they, they kind of like that kind of stuff. You know, they think the, the thing that's sexually attracted to them is sexually attractive. So they either think uh, Kristen Stewart is hot or why can't I remember the dude's name? The guy who played um, Edward? Yeah, I can't remember his real name. Sorry, guy. I know you're an, you're an actual human being. And you have feelings. I'm, I'm genuine. That's not sarcasm. I'm genuinely sorry. I don't remember your name. I just remember Kirsten Stewart. Just because it started off, I just I couldn't stand. I couldn't stand looking at the movie. I don't know what it is. I'm not, you know I'm gonna get myself in trouble. It's the same thing with Jennifer Lawrence. At a certain point, it's just like I can't. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's not her. It's not like oh she's ugly. It's nothing like that. She's a very beautiful woman. It's just I don't believe it. You know like. Uh, I don't want to go down that road. She's an amazing actress, five out of five stars, nothing against her. Let's go back to Kristen Stewart. Um, for whatever reason, I just I was put off. It seemed like she didn't want to be there. And then I found out she was a pothead. And I was like, oh, she's just spaced out. And then it totally made sense. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm totally behind this chick. Not because I was like, oh, she's cool because she smokes pot now. But there was a justification for her being that way. Just like Whitney Houston. I'm, I'm sure in the, after Waiting to Exhale and The Bodyguard, People were like, oh, she's making weird stuff now. Like that video, uh, I'm going to make it anyway, but it's all right, but it's okay. Yeah, okay, I just went there, whatever. That's a weird video. Like if you put that up against I Will Always Love You, that is coming from the mind of two different people. And then when you find out more of the unfortunate, tumultuous uh, life that she was living through, it makes sense. You're like, oh, that's why that's there. And you appreciate the video differently. You know, uh, Michael Jackson, wow, I'm naming all these people no longer with us. Uh, his videos shifting from really like thriller. As soon as thriller starts, forward. <laughs> thriller before, it's like a happiness that an animal would have inside of a zoo. But like an animal that just got to the zoo. 
you know. You're like, oh, everybody's coming to see me. This is pretty awesome. Look, I can grab the leaves. Look, I can eat this thing. I can do everything better than everybody else. Everybody's like, oh, word, that's awesome. And then Thriller happens, and the animal escapes from the cage, and now everyone's trying to track down this wild wolf. Damn, that pulled that perfectly. Uh, and they never catch him until he's a little bit older, and he decides he's going to put on his own traveling stage show. Uh, this this carnival act overseas, and uh, a veterinarian comes along. He's like, you know what? You seem kind of sickly. You seem kind of tired. Let me give you something for that. When you look at the art that was created, if you didn't know any of that stuff beforehand, you're like, wow, he changed completely. What? I like how people would end up saying, like, oh, wacko, jack, all that jazz. And then you start looking at stuff, you're like, oh, that's why all that stuff played out the way it did. Because, you know, people's personal lives are bound to affect their artistic endeavors because art does not come from a void. It comes from pain and love and, and hurt and solace and joy and divinity within oneself not uh, divinity ir irregardless of religion I hate that word irreligious divinity that's sexier um, so I just I was able to appreciate Kirsten Stewart as an actress more um, and then the movies became more palatable of course riff tracks helped with that but I saw the movies without riff tracks as well I was like oh okay these are good movies especially the last one that that Shyamalan that they pulled, I like that. It still catches me. Like, I know it's going to happen, but I'm still like, man, alive. Uh, it's still great. Um, yeah. I really want to get it across. It, you know, Jennifer Lawrence is a great actress. And when I say she's not my cup of tea, I don't mean that, because it's like, oh, an actress is only my cup of tea if she's attractive. That's not the case at all. Um, I just... I'm happy for her. I hope she continues to get work until she's Helen Mirren's age and beyond. That sounded like a slam, like against Helen Mirren. I hope she keeps getting work until she's 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. I hope she ends up becoming a part of the singularity just like everyone else and she's able to extend her life because technology got amazing and now there's going to be a Jennifer Lawrence actress until the year 2638. Seriously, I'm not saying that in sarcasm. I'm just saying that chances are, if I'm a part of that whole time stream as well, it probably won't be until about 2400, maybe 2500, that I pick up a hollow disc or a, a, a hollow cube, both of those being intangible. You just move them with your hands uh, and then put in that video to watch her be Desdemona or, I don't know, um, I was going to say Antipodes, but that's not what I meant, Parasephone. Or, I don't know. I just wasn't feeling it. Like, Rebecca Maine Stamos, she seemed like Mystique. I know I'm going there. But she doesn't look like Mystique. Like, when she's done as Mystique, she looks like a kid. I think that's what it is. She looks like a little child. And it's creepy to me. Because she doesn't look like, like a 20-year-old woman. She looks like... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up saying stuff that sounds horrible, and I shouldn't. Because she's an awesome person. Like, everything she's in, she like, gets awards, and everybody loves her. So she's clearly, there's something wrong with me. <laughs> that I look at her and I'm like, I can't watch her in something. But she's an awesome actress. I'm like, damn, I really shouldn't have gone down that road because I was just talking about Twilight. And I meant to not even name check them. Uh, but great series, you know. Hey, look, if you haven't seen Twilight, check it out. You might love it. You might come back and email me like, dude, what are you talking about? That was like some of the greatest vampire stuff I've ever seen in my life. Um, it's probably awesome. If 
if you did see it or you avoided it or whatever the case may be, um, but you chose never to watch it again or you're not going to watch it again, I would highly recommend watching The Lost Boys. Seriously. It's an amazing movie. The, the blood, uh, they use an effect there that was replicated many times over in the future, which was putting glitter in the blood. Sounds weird, like, oh, why would you put glitter in the blood? It, it's, it creates an awesome camera effect, and it doesn't look like glitter in the blood. It makes the gives blood a weird look. It's Wow, Lost Boys is amazing. Watch Interview with the Vampire, because it's amazing. And go read those books, The Vampire Chronicles. Uh, I'd highly recommend checking out the subspecies series. There's four of them. And Vampire Journals, I think, takes place between subspecies 3 and subspecies 4. Those are Romanian vampire films. Yes, they're lower budget. Came out in 1991, between like 91 and like 97. But the guy who played the scientist in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze, that guy ends up being like this crazy Renfield amalgamation in, in those movies. And the guy who plays uh, the, like the vampire, not the actor, but the name of the vampire is like Vlad Radishlu or something like that. Uh, it's just weird movies. Um, I think it's all the vampire movies. You know what? And obviously Blade. Watch the first Blade movie. That, oh. if, if you love the first Blade movie and you divorce yourself from like, I want to hear the opinions of other people, then move forward and then watch Blade 2 and watch Blade 3. Seriously. Don't just sit down and watch all three because you might not like vampires that much to want to watch a vampire kill other vampires. That's really liking vampires. But it's just, it's such a great story. The first Blade movie is one of the best, if not in my opinion, the best origin movie that's come out to date. It's never slow. It keeps barreling forward, but not so much that it forsakes the story. There's a ridiculous amount of action. The soundtrack's on point. To, to, the, to the level that the, the song that's playing in the club in the beginning of the movie was... <laughs> I don't have to tell you if you've gone to any rave clubs or just regular clubs around that time. That song was big for like two, three years. It made no sense. It's a great song, but it just drones on and on, and you feel it. Like, when it's playing in a club, you're like, yeah, this works. Um, even when you hear it in a vampire club, you're like, wow, this is cheesy. And you're like, no, this works. Like, it's just a perfect song. It just, it just keeps droning, and then it picks up with more noise, and then it goes down again, and then it picks up. Like, it's, it's kind of perfect. Uh, it's clearly, like, the uh, more treble-laden precursor to dubstep, because it doesn't have a drop, per se, uh, like a bass drop. But it does have, honestly, a, a version of chord progression. It genuinely does. It goes between different places in a sense to try and create a melody, uh, as opposed to just throwing notes together to have a song. Uh, but yeah, definitely check out the first Blade movie. It's just it's outstanding. And again, it's not a slight to Batman Begins. Batman Begins was awesome. It was great. If you don't like Batman, though, it's the same thing. Like if you don't like vampires, you're not gonna like Blade. But if you're not like that in the superhero stuff, you might not want to watch Batman Begins. Just like you might not want to watch Iron Man kind of have to be into that stuff it's like after the fact you're like oh these movies are great because people are telling them like yo these movies are great but if it's just like yeah Batman Begins is coming out this weekend and all the, the movies never came out before just like yeah Christian Bale the guy from The Machinist and American Psycho he's gonna be playing Bruce Wayne you're like alright I'll check that out when it comes out at Blockbuster that's right that long ago you know and the same thing with Iron Man you're like yeah the guy from Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Chaplin which go check that out Chaplin is amazing amazing that that is my favorite Robert Downey Jr. film Chaplin easily hands down number one number one Robert Downey Jr. film you can never be touched again that movie was outstanding uh, but yeah that's what I had in my head like the guy who played Chaplin and I had literally seen it like a couple months before I making on like the guy who played Chaplin was going to play Tony Stark alright we'll see and then I was kind of blown away because I love graphic novels um, 
but yeah, there's, there's quite a few movies to go check out if you haven't already checked them out. I tried to name some that were obscure, you know, like the subspecies stuff that is just that's bizarre. Uh, especially when the Bloodstone comes into play. Yeah, it's just that's a weird, weird, weird movie. Um, and then I'll think of some more for the next time around. Um, I guess we'll end it there. This has been uh, episode one. The very first episode. I have been Nick Antoine, as far as I can tell. You have been the Oral Voyeur. Thank you for listening. The life of the flesh is in the blood. I have to find the will to carry on.